السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محتثاتها 
وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد dear brothers and sisters during the reign of the Abbasid period the Khalifa known as Harun al-Rashid had a personal physician by the name of Al-Harith ibn Kalada. Al-Harith ibn Kalada was a Christian physician employed to look after the health of the Khalifa Harun al-Rashid. And it is recorded that one day in the court of the Khalifa, Harith ibn Kalada struck up a conversation with another man a hadith narrator by the name of Ali ibn al-Husayn al-Waqid. So this Christian physician in the court of Harun al-Rashid asked the hadith narrator Ali ibn Husayn al-Waqid, does your holy book contain any medical knowledge? Does your holy book contain any medical knowledge? And to this, Ali ibn al-Husayn al-Waqid said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has condensed medical knowledge in a single verse of the Qur'an. And that is the verse where Allah ta'ala says, And eat and drink and do not be excessive. He says that Allah Ta'ala has condensed medical knowledge in this single verse of the Qur'an. Dear brothers and sisters, in another verse of the Qur'an, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says to our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ بِالْحَقِّ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا Indeed, we have sent you with the truth as a bringer of glad tidings and as a warner, as a bringer of glad tidings, of good news, and as a warner. And fulfilling this role as a warner, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, warned us of several different diseases that will harm us physically, socially, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. He warned us of diseases that harm us in this life and the next. And one of those diseases that he warned us about is the disease of israf, the disease of excessiveness, of extremes. You see, dear brothers and sisters, in the Holy Quran, Allah Ta'ala condemns many different types of people with certain qualities. He mentions those people who are kafirun, disbelievers, zalimun, oppressors and wrongdoers, fasiqun, corrupt people. And one of those types of people condemned in the Quran are the musrifun, the people of israf, the people who are excessive and extreme. So what does Israf mean? Israf is defined as going to excess in anything. And Allah Ta'ala cautions us that we can be abstinent in one thing, but excessive in another. 
Don't think that just because you are abstinent in one area of your life, that you can't be excessive in another area of your life. So the path is for us to identify the areas of excess in our own lives so that we can remove those things and bring them to balance before they harm us. A person may be excessive even if they own very little. And a person who may have been granted lots of wealth may be abstinent even though they own lots of things. So excessiveness takes on different forms. It has different shapes and manifestations. One of those manifestations we spoke about last week, when we talked about the consumerism we see every year during the holiday season. We talked about the consumerist culture we see all around us this time of the year and how we as Muslims are not immune to that disease. And since that disease is connected to our over-attachment to the dunya, we see that there are certain specific forms that are symptoms of that, one of which is excess. So there's different types of excess. And when most people hear the word excess, israf, they think of consumption. And they have a reason to think that, because that's the primary meaning that we associate excessiveness with. According to the latest available data, there are around 50,000 storage units in the U.S. You know those places where people load the unit full of stuff that they can't fit in their home or garage? 50,000. To put things in perspective, right now, as of 2022, there are 14,350 McDonald's across the U.S. And there are 11,000 Starbucks across the U.S. So that means that self-storage facilities are more numerous than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. And this should come as no surprise to any of us. We have reality TV shows dedicated to storage facilities. There's a show on TV called Storage Wars, where people bid to get access to storage units that have been left by their owners. They bid to take whatever's inside, and they show what they're finding inside as they open the boxes. <clears throat> storage facilities are a part of the fabric of this society in this day and age. So this means, if you do the math, that there is an average of 21 feet of storage space for every American, even though 65% of people who rent self-storage spaces have a garage. I'll repeat that. 65% of those who already rent storage facilities have a garage in their home. So this is all a symptom of israf, of excess. And it's the product of excessive consumption. Always shopping, always buying more and more stuff. Never satisfied, always looking for the newest things. And they accumulate. And it seems small, but over time it becomes a mountain of stuff that has to go somewhere. Either it remains in the home and the person becomes a hoarder at the end of it, or they get rid of it somehow, putting it in the garage or putting it in a storage facility. Now maybe a person doesn't have a hoarding problem. 
Maybe they don't even have a storage facility for all their stuff. But another form of israf that people can succumb to, which is common, is taking on excessive credit card debt and living off of credit instead of having the discipline of delayed gratification in paying for what one can afford. That's excessive as well because it's essentially committing yourself to usury for things you can't afford. That is israf as well. Another form of israf is israf in food. Excessive and overconsumption of food. Data shows that nearly one billion people are undernourished and hungry each day. But that's not because those one billion people, they're not hungry because of a lack of food around the world. There is enough food to go around. There's enough food to feed those one billion starving people. And more. The problem is that food is getting wasted. Around one third of the world's food is lost to waste. That accounts to one billion tons a year, more or less. Between 900 million to one billion tons of food going to waste every single year. So in micro terms, that means over 1,000 tons of food is wasted every single minute of the day. Between 900 million to a billion tons of food discarded every year worldwide. Of that 900 million tons, 40 million tons are wasted here in the U.S. But this food wastage is not a first world problem. It's easy to think why that might be the case. But it's not a first world problem. Because when you look into the numbers, you see that per capita of the top 10 countries that waste the most food in the world, of the top 10, four of them are Muslim majority countries. This is incredibly shameful. Incredibly shameful that in the top 10 countries that waste the most food of all the countries in the world, four out of 10, almost half, are Muslim majority countries. And we see this problem on a micro level in many of our communities, many of our masajid, many of our gatherings. Because as Muslims, we always find ourselves in this horrible dilemma. When we're at a function, a public gathering, a wedding, walima, could be a fundraiser, or it could be a Ramadan iftar, community iftar, we're often faced with this dilemma. We're forced to choose between two things, neither of which is good. We're forced to choose between two bad choices. Choice number one, do I finish all of this food on my plate to the point where I'm gonna feel overstuffed and gluttonous? Surely that must not be an Islamic practice to stuff myself to the point where I feel almost ill. That's dilemma number one, choice number one. Choice number two is, do I dump it in the trash when I can't finish, thereby wasting that food? We see this problem every single year, no matter where we go. 
If I eat all this food, I'm going to feel so stuffed that I can't even function. But if I don't eat all of this, it has to go somewhere, and no one's going to take these leftovers from me, and I can't take them home, so where do they go? They go into the garbage. And we see this year after year across our masajid in our Islamic centers in Ramadan during the community iftars. And there is one simple solution to this problem. And that solution is portion control, which requires just a small amount of discipline. Portion control. Why do we need to have a massive pile of food on our plates? We understand that when we're hungry, it's often the case that our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. But knowing that, we take less on our plates, so that if we need to go and get more food because we're still hungry, we can get more. But we're not piling it on to the point where we end up either stuffing ourselves or dumping it in the trash. So it is a very ugly expression of israf to wantonly waste food and toss it away in the garbage as if it's nothing, as if it has no value. This is ugly. This is displeasing in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another cause or another aspect of israf is israf in consuming things that contribute to our bad health. This can also be a form of israf where a person consumes certain things they know are damaging to them and they consume them to the point that they cause diabetes or other physical harms. Now there are many halal things that can be harmful if they're taken to excess and there's almost anything you can think of will be harmful if taken to excess. Even water. If you drink too much water it will harm you. If you eat too much salt it can harm you. If you eat too much of anything, it can harm you. But the point here is that there are certain foods that for certain people and in certain quantities can cause them particular long-term chronic health conditions. If they know with some level of yaqeen that eating this or eating that is going to cause those problems, if there's relative certainty, then our fuqaha tell us that for such a person, eating these things hovers between being makru tanzihi or makru tahrimi. It's either something highly discouraged or it is prohibitively discouraged because it leads to an inevitable outcome that is damaging to that person. So we have to be aware of israf, its spiritual effects as well as its physical effects upon us dear brothers and sisters. Allah Ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, وَلَا تُلْقُلْ بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ لَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not throw yourselves into destruction. Do not kill yourselves. And once again, when we crunch the numbers, we see that sadly, we come out on top on what we should be at the bottom of. Just as the top 10 countries of food wastage has four Muslim countries, of the top 10 countries with the highest per capita rate of diabetes, again four are Muslim majority countries. Another kind of israf that can affect anyone and everyone, even if they don't eat to excess, and even if they don't own anything, is the israf, the excessiveness 
of sins. We hear the word Israf and we think of excess as having too much of something. And that is true, overspending and extravagance. But another form of Israf is the Israf of going to excess with how we treat our souls. Going to excess in how we damage our souls by disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses His beloved sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and says, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ He says, say, O oh my servants who have gone to excess, who have exceeded the bounds of their own souls, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. So this verse is telling us not to despair, but it's also telling us that when we sin, we are committing an excess against our souls. We are going beyond the bounds. We are taking them to an extreme state which will damage us, harm us in this life and potentially in the next. Ibn Qayyim mentions in his work, Al-Jawab Al-Kafi, over 70 ill effects of sins and disobedience. 70 different harms that arise due to the haram that we fall into. And of those 70, I'll mention to you just five that he puts right in the very beginning. Of the ill effects of sins, he says that sins cause a prevention of knowledge, meaning they keep true knowledge from entering the heart. As Imam Waqi' said to his student Imam Shafi'i, he says that knowledge is a light. Knowledge is a light that Allah cast into the heart and disobedience extinguishes that light. Another effect of sins is that it prevents, curtails or diminishes the barakah of our sustenance, our risk. Just as righteousness brings about blessings in our risk, disobedience and abandonment of righteousness causes a lack of, a lack of barakah in our provision. Another cause, another effect of sins is that they prevent obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They create this vicious cycle where one sin gives rise to another sin. And that sin gives rise to another until we arrest that process and stop it in its tracks. Just like an act of obedience will give rise to another act of obedience and so on. Disobedience also weakens the heart. Disobedience weakens the heart until the heart ceases to feel any life in it whatsoever. How do you know if your heart is dying from the effects of all the haram around you, when those things don't even bother you anymore. If they bother you, if you feel bad about them, you feel guilt, that is a sign that the heart is still alive. But the person has to make a choice. If they continue going into those things, the heart will get number and number and number until it is dead and there is no feeling whatsoever. Another sign, another effect of disobedience is that they weaken in the heart our 
ta'zim, our magnification and our reverence for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Things are not seen as sacred as they once used to be. These are all the effects of israf against our own souls, dear brothers and sisters. And lastly, among the various forms of excessiveness, after excessiveness in consumption and in food and in sins, another form of excessiveness is excessiveness in the deen itself. Excessiveness in the deen. And by that we mean ghulu, tatarruf, tanattu' ila akhirihi. Excessiveness, extremism. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La taghlu fi deenikum. Do not go to extremes in your religion. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Iyakum wal ghulu. Beware of extremism in matters of your deen. And in another narration, he said three times, Halaka al mutanatti'oon, Halaka al mutanatti'oon, Halaka al mutanatti'oon. Perished, destroyed are those who go to extremes in matters of deen. So, Israf in matters of deen does not mean being strict with oneself, it doesn't mean being cautious in avoiding the haram. Contrary to how many people may think, Israf is not about being strict when it comes to you fulfilling the rights of Allah upon you and the rights of other human beings. That's not Israf. Israf in deen is actually not taking the commands of Allah seriously. It's picking and choosing what aspects of Islam you're going to follow. Where you're super strict in one area, but you are, ex- you are completely negligent in something else. You're super strict in this, but everyone else, you backbite them, you slander them, you gossip them. That's excessiveness in the deen. So it means going beyond the siratul mustaqim, the golden mean, the straight path of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Excessiveness in our, in our deen harms ourselves. We have the famous hadith of those three men who heard about the nighttime devotions of Rasulullah and they compared their ibadah to his. And they said, how can we ever measure up? So one of them said, as for me, I will pray through the night and I will not sleep at all during the night. The other one said, as for me, I am going to fast every single day. I will fast continuously and I will not break my fast. And the third one said, as for me, I will remain single and I will never marry women. I'll just be devoted to living the single life in devotion to Allah. When this reached Rasulullah he said his famous words, مَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّتِي فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي Whoever seeks a way other than my way is not from my sunnah. I pray and I sleep. I fast and I break my fast and I marry women. So whoever seeks a way other than mine, he is not from me. So excessiveness in deen can harm ourselves. But excessiveness in matters of deen can also harm others. 
people who go to excess and extremes in matters of deen, where they begin to consider the majority of the ummah as kafir or mushrik, this and that, even if they won't be brave enough to say it, they, they hold to the lawazim, the implications of these ideas, that they and their small group are the only ones who are really Muslim, and everyone else is just lost. And they've been lost for hundreds of years. They look at Muslims as being beneath them because they have what others don't. They take matters that are differed over among our great ulama, our great mujtahidun, and they make them matters of usul over which they declare some people outside of Islam and some people as Muslims. They look down on Muslims because of their imagined piety. So their devotion to Allah Ta'ala their following of the sunnah did not actually make them humble because there was an ulterior motive there. There was excessiveness. It became a means of them looking down on the rest of the Muslims. As the Prophet ﷺ warned us, مَنْ قَالَ هَلَكَ النَّاسِ فَهُوَ أَهْلَكُهُمْ Whoever says the people are ruined, then they are the most ruined of all. That's what happens when we go to excess in matters of deen without holding to the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Dear brothers and sisters, Israf can apply to so many things. And Israf can creep up in our lives. If it's not detected and removed, it will inevitably create hard times for us. Because Israf ultimately makes us weak. And weakness creates hard times. And there's the saying, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to bring our souls into check and to remove all forms of excessiveness from us in our lives in whatever form it takes, and to replace that israf with moderation, with gratitude, with contentment, and a commitment to follow as-siratul mustaqim, the golden mean, the straight path of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa afturu salati wa atammu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmiddin wa ba'd Dear brothers and sisters, there is a famous companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam known as Hudayfa ibn Yaman radiyallahu ta'ala anhu wa ardah also known as Sahibu Sirri Rasulillah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the one who had some of the secrets given to him by the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that is because he was given knowledge of the names of the Munafiqun of Medina and knowledge of many of the signs of fitna, of trials and tribulations, strife and conflict that would arise between the Muslims in the latter period. And in one hadith, Hudayfa ibn Yaman radiallahu anhu tells us a bit about himself. 
He says, كان الناس يسألون النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن الخير. He said the people used to frequently ask the Prophet about the good things. You think about the good things. The rewards for this, the blessings for that, how to seek the goodness. He says, وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرْ مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي But I used to ask him about evil, about the bad things. Why? مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي For fear of those things catching me, for fear of falling into those things. So by learning a little bit about this disease of Israf and the forms it takes, we learn about symptoms that we might have in us. And by learning about it, we may discover aspects of it in us. So we know that we have to remove it. We have to get control of it and understand that it's not just a disease out there on the horizon affecting those people and those people and not me, not us. By knowing about Israf, we can examine ourselves and see is there any area in my life, any compartment where I am guilty of Israf, I am going to excess? And if we are, we look at the symptoms and most importantly, we look at how to get rid of it. The way we get rid of Israf is quite simple, but very few things in life that are simple are easy. It's simple. If we identify israf in our life, whether it's through consumption, or food, or sins, or even the way we practice our Islam, the solution is the opposite. The solution is the opposite. So what is the opposite of israf in matters of money, spending, and consumption? Is the opposite of israf in wealth to be a pauper who is penniless, that's not the opposite, dear brothers and sisters. The opposite of Israf in wealth is Iqtisad. Iqtisad in Arabic means economy, but it also means moderation. Iqtisad means moderation. Even in the English language, the word economy means the careful management of resources. What is the opposite of the careful management of resources. The opposite is Israf. It is spending wildly and carelessly as if there's no tomorrow. So Israf is the opposite of Iqtisad. Proper Iqtisad, moderation in spending and managing resources entails that we avoid going into excessive debt when possible. And we make plans to pay back credit card debts if we have any. It means that we learn financial planning and proper transactions. It is said that a person came to Imam Muhammad Hassan al-Shaybani, the great student of Imam Abu Hanifa, the great jurist, and said, Ya Imam, will you not please write for us a book on zuhud, a book on asceticism and otherworldliness, detachment from the dunya, and Imam Muhammad Hassan al-Shaybani says, I've already written a book on that topic because I wrote a book about financial transactions. 
When you apply the Islamic guidance in your financial transactions, you are taken to a place of iqtisad, of moderation and careful management of resources. That's the solution. As far as food is concerned, we have to understand that avoiding israf in food requires that we reconsider our relationship to food. There are levels of purpose when it comes to eating. There are some people in the world who only eat for survival because that's, they have very little to eat in the first place. There are some people who eat for energy. They have to eat a certain kind of food just to have the strength to do the jobs they have. Some people eat for their mood. They want to eat something that calms them down after a long week at work. They want to relax, so they buy a pint of ice cream. They're in that mood. Then there's eating for health, to improve health, to use food as a means of averting illness and disease. And then there's eating for customizing your health goals. We have to reconsider our relationship to food. Most people in the world are eating for energy, but if you live in this society, most likely you are eating either for mood or for health. Most people are eating for mood. But we have to move it from eating for mood to eating for health. As far as israf and sins is concerned, it means we have to know what the sins are in the first place. How can we avoid the sins if we don't know what they are? How can we avoid them if we don't know what are the major sins? What are the kabair? What are the minor sins? How do we avoid them? How do we resist those urges? And most importantly, how do we make tawbah, repent, if we have succumbed to those sins? The solution is to know these things and to actually struggle. Real work. And lastly, with israf in matters of religion, it means that we have to learn our deen properly with elders, with mentors, avoiding groups that paint themselves as the only true Muslims with everyone else as misguided. We have to be balanced in our practice of deen. We have to connect ourselves with those with more knowledge and experience and character and avoid fringe extreme groups and ideas and peoples and personalities to come to a place of moderation in our worship where there is ibadah and there is akhlaq, there's worship and there's character, where there's moral foundations in avoiding the haram and also a way of dealing with people that reflects the beauty of the akhlaq of al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Dear brothers and sisters, we all have many responsibilities most of us are pulled in so many different directions in our life. Work, study, family, children, siblings, spouses, religious duties, physical needs, friends, hobbies, you name it. And the problem is that if we give too much attention to one thing, it can often take us out of balance where we neglect something that's important. So whenever you find yourself struggling, Whenever you find things are topsy-turvy in your life, reflect on if there's any excess in your life. If you find that excess, you have to make the necessary changes. Because usually when we're struggling, it's because there's something out of whack. We are going too much this way or too much that way. We need to recalibrate to attain that balance. 
And keeping balance is a constant act of adjustment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that istiqama, that uprightness in balance. Guide us to the Sirat al-Mustaqeem and upon the Sirat al-Mustaqeem. And give us that iqtisad and give us the tawfiq, the enabling grace to avoid israf in matters of dunya, in matters of sins, and in matters of deen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulik an nabiyyil ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallima tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin waheen subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa qumu ila salatikum